Money is only a universal exchange of value, a unit of account and store of worth, but it becomes what we project onto it. Hello, hello, it's your boy Cole Harvey. Come on, give us a little high five. Welcome to the big life. Welcome back. This is going to be saucy because today you are going to discover how to create big life money. Big life money, not just mediocre money, big boss money. So that you can know more, make more and give more. And we're going to talk about the values, beliefs, mindsets and shifts that you need to create true financial abundance. It's all thanks to this handsome special guest today. He's known as the disruptive entrepreneur. He's an investor, multiple business owner, multiple best-selling business book author. What, 17 best-selling books-ish? I've written 18. I You've don't, written 18? I don't know that they're all bestsellers, but I've written 18. 18 books. Prolific podcaster, two times public speaking, world record holder and the author of this brilliant book, Money, which we're going to be discussing today. Absolute source. Get your copy here. It is the one, the only Rob Moore. Thank you, Rob. Welcome. Thank you very it's much. It's coming on the big life. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here, mate. Right. Let's get stuck in. This. You start your book by saying that, and this reminded me of me a little bit. You saw a dude in a Ferrari showing off, music loud, and your first reaction, instead of being inspired or impressed, was, see that twat? He's a drug dealer. And then you, you explained in the book that right there, those seven words summed up everything that was wrong with me about money. So why was you wrong in that case? And how does this story demonstrate a scarcity mindset? Well, I wasn't wrong that there are drug dealers in people. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely wasn't wrong about that. For the record. Uh, what was wrong about that was I had really bad beliefs around people who had money. And for example, now I hear a lot of people dissing millionaires yeah. and judging millionaires. But you know, you can have millionaires who do nefarious, evil things with their money, and you can have millionaires who give all their money away. You can have kind millionaires and cruel millionaires, but you can also have kind, poor people and cruel, poor people. Yeah. And you can have just as much nefarious and evil activity from skint people as you can rich people. And I didn't know this. I judged everyone that was rich. Yeah. But we do that as people. We make a judgment based on, oh, I recognise this and I put you in this category of X. So it's almost like an, I almost had like a millionaireism. You know, like I didn't have sexism and racism, I had millionaireism. <laughs> yeah. Where I judged millionaires. But here's the sad thing, I wanted to be one. Right. So I judged the very person I wanted to be. And it was easier for me to disown my failings and flaws by saying, I oh, look at you in all your gold and your bling in your Ferrari. You must have screwed people over to do that because if I project that belief out onto you, I avoid the feeling of being a failure and a loser and a letdown myself. Do you think that's what it is that we're? Because often it's people say they want to be rich or they want to have the nice car. Well, they let's want just to live be in a honest. Sorry to jump in, Carl. Yeah, on, Who wants to be broke? <laughs> <laughs> Who wants a shit car? Who wants to travel cattle class? Who wants, you know, a tent for a house? No one wants to be broke. If you, if you took judgment away, like if you were the only person on the planet and you knew there was no one out there to judge, yeah. would you want finer clothes yeah. or rags? I've really actually pondered this because I was like, would I dress like this if there was no one else? Would I still have the, the Bentley or a car? Yeah. And, and truly, I got to the point where it's, yeah, this is for me. This is what makes yes. me radiate the highest vibration, feel the best. Why would you not want the best? Hallelujah. The Deepak Chopra said that. Yeah. Better and best. People yeah. with wealth consciousness set only for the best. Yeah. So how did you develop into that mindset when originally it was, 
you know, look at this geezer, must be a drug dealer. So what was your process to even become aware of that and go, I'm keeping money away from me by believing this about that man? I mean, maybe he was a drug dealer, but if he weren't, do you think that if you hold those sort of beliefs, negative beliefs around money, that you keep it away from you and repel it? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I believe how much money you have is intrinsically linked to your beliefs around money. By the way, that's right. not a guarantee to be a billionaire because, right. you know, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos are unicorns who built Amazon and Tesla. And those you can have really high frequency beliefs around money, but not have a billion dollar unicorn. Right. But if you've got really good beliefs around money, you'll at least be financially free or financially stable or financially secure. And you might even have a chance of being a millionaire or more. Yeah. It all depends what you want. But money is nothing but a universal exchange of value. Yes. A medium of account, a store and a measure of worth. So let's think about what money is. Right. So I've got some money in my pocket. I always carry a few hundred. You never know when yeah, you're going to need it. Balling. So this, this, what this is, it's a polymer. It's not even paper or cotton derivative anymore. This is a polymer. Um, and this is a better store of value than 20 pounds worth of meat that will go off in three weeks. Uh -huh. So it's an effective store of value. It's also a way that I can exchange my good services, my talents and my production and creativity in a way that we can exchange. Yeah. So I've done 20 pounds worth of goods and values and exchange and love and sweat and art, and I can now measure it, because uh -huh. that's the amount of it that's there. Uh -huh. And this stores it really well. And you trust that it's worth that, because it says it is, and we've agreed that it is. So we've universally agreed what this is, which is a store of value and worth. Brilliant. That's what it is. It's not guilt, it's not shame, it's not greed, it's not anger, it's not resentment, it's not judgment. That's, these things can't have guilt and shame and anger and jealousy and judgment and ridicule. These don't have consciousness. Yeah. So what we do is we put our consciousness onto these. We put our greed, our guilt, our shame, our jealousy, our resentment, you know, or even our ego and our pride. Oh, certainly. We, put, we <laughs> put all of that onto money. So money is only a universal exchange of value, a unit of account and store of worth, but it becomes what we project onto it. So therefore, money is what we are. Right. So for example, I take this 20 pounds, you're a gun dealer. I, I give you that, and you give me 20 bullets. I don't know if you'll get 20, I'll give you 10. Okay. I'll, so, give, you, I'll give you 10 bullets for, all right. for so a I get, score. I get 10 bullets for a score, yeah? Yep. And I go down the local sh school and I shoot 10 kids there. Oh, well, I'd right. rather you didn't. But... Of course, but the point is, that wasn't the money that did that. Gotcha. It was me. And I used the money. Okay, but next, next. You run a charity organisation in Africa and you've got 100 kids that you educate. There's 20 quid and that'll buy them all books for the next two weeks. Balls. So, w which is right and which is wrong? Love it. Yeah? So, neither. Money is the conduit, the universal exchange of value that we've agreed. So, whether you are the mass murderer or the philanthropist of children, 
is based on you and your beliefs. Hallelujah. This reminds me of what Stuart Wilde, I don't know if you ever read any of his books, Great Metaphysical Author, he passed the English fella. I'm a mentor. Put it in the Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> Get me out, outside the business park. Yeah. Uh, Stuart Wilde used to talk about that money will flow just as freely to the vicar as it will the pornographer. And the point he was making is that there's no morality in money. It no. is, as you've pointed to, it's a medium of value exchange and an energy. Yeah. Therefore, if we want more of it, and you've talked a lot about money is a signifier of value. Yeah. If we want to make more money, live a bigger life, does it make sense that we should give more value and then we're likely to get paid more? Law of compensation, is this saying that you believe the more value you give, the more money you make? Yeah. So I created a wealth formula, which I've actually, I'm just updating for my new book. And it's in there. Um, and it's wealth equals value plus fair exchange times leverage. We'll cover it in a minute because oh, that's going to be the answer. But before, I didn't quite finish answering your first question. Go on. So what changed for me was I started learning about money and how it worked. Right. And I'm on this mission now. I help probably now millions of people get better financial education and knowledge. And on this mission to learn about how money really worked, I realized that that is what money is. It's a tool. Like think about the tools that man, woman, he, she, they, it, man have created. Yeah. The wheels are pretty fucking good invention. I mean, I like a wheel. Yeah, Pe the penicillin. Penicillin's pretty fucking good invention. Money is a fucking good invention. <laughs> Hallelujah. That that is as that gives you more leverage than a hammer, a black and decker. That. So, but what this really is is it's a bloody good invention created by humanity. That's what it is. So I realised, therefore, then I got this epiphany, which I like to call a shittany, which is a reverse epiphany. Yeah. I got this shittany, this rude awakening that actually there was nothing wrong with money. There was nothing wrong with millionaires. It was all about me and my perceptions. Yeah. So if I change my perceptions. So if I look at you and think you, you're covered in Versace and Gucci and Hublot and Bentley, I could either hate you for it or I could go, what do you know that I don't? Be inspired. Who could you connect me with? That, and, and what did you learn? And what did you exchange and what did you um, give and what did you um, sacrifice yeah. in order to create what you've created? Lovely. And, you know, they say you are the sum of the five people you hang around with. Uh -huh. So the bigger shit and the epiphany for me was if I change my beliefs, I will change my results. And then on this journey, I, I kind of swung from, OK, all millionaires are drug dealing evil, nefarious, greedy bastards, to all millionaires know something I don't. They are skilled and qualified. They've created value. They've hustled. And then I realised that actually in every human being lie, lies good traits and bad traits. Hallelujah. We all have upsides and downsides. We're all capable of kindness and cruelty. So I took, started to take my judgment away and realise that wealth is created by perceived value uh -huh. plus fair exchange times leverage. So in the book Money, the, the, um, the formula is wealth equals value plus fair exchange times leverage, but I've since refined it. Okay. So wealth in the form of money mm -hmm. is perceived value plus fair exchange yeah. Times leverage. Perceived value is what do you perceive I am worth uh -huh. to you? Gotcha. Now, here's the thing. You could make watches uh -huh. and you make a digital watch and you're 
a, a copycat of Casio. And I'll buy that off you for 15 quid. Uh-huh. Or you could be like Patek Philippe. Uh-huh. And I'll buy that watch off you for 100 grand. Uh-huh. What's the difference? That they true? do the same thing. A digital, you, in fact, the digital Casio probably keeps better time. Almost certainly. Certainly better than the Hublot. Yeah, well, savage, well, savage craftsmanship. Yeah, yeah. It's what you get for buying fancy watches by listening to Jay-Z songs. Lesson learned. Yeah. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> so, it's not just value. This is an important thing. It's not just value that people will pay for and you will earn money for. It's perceived value. Hallelujah. Yeah. I'll give you a, a ludicrous example that flashed in my head. Whenever I order from Uber Eats, there's an option to pay three or four pound extra and they will deliver your food to you first. Yeah. And that option is always there. I seem to be the only person in, in my village or town that does that. But for me, it's an absolute, the perceived value of me having my food faster, hotter, fresher, yeah. 100%. Whereas it seems for most people in my borough, that's the last thing they're worried about. They'd rather, the perceived value of, of getting the food is, is lower than four quid. They'd rather wait until it was cold and come down there. So it's, it's yeah. little decisions like this. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm. You know, some people might look at, at your Lambo and go, the Vauxhall Nova will do me. It does exactly the same job, gets me from A to B. But for me, I think life is about infinite expression and creativity. And I believe God wants us to experience all these beautiful things. Otherwise, he wouldn't make it so fun to drive a Lambo or a Bentley or to have finer things and travel the world. So, therefore... Are there any limits to what we are able to create and manifest, or are there limitations yeah. in our minds? Do you there think? are limits. All right, come on. There are limits of physics and science. All right. um, so I can't go poof and have a billion pounds there. If so I'd, I'd love to give you the answer maybe you were looking for. Which no, is, no, I'm not. I'm genuinely is, curious. Yeah, no. there, there is limits, but the potential gets very close to the infinite or the limitless. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you think about money, is money limitless and infinite? It actually isn't. Ooh, it isn't. Well, okay. Well, let, let me answer it. Yeah, go and on. And then, you, you know, um, the reason it isn't limitless is because there's a finite amount that we've printed. There's a finite amount that probably can be printed at any one time. There's a finite amount of gold and precious metals in the ground, in the earth, that we are very much mining hard. Mm -hmm. So technically, and I know this is a bit of a, um, a job's worth answer, but I like to, <laughs> I like, I like to be accurate. Because, by the way, this will actually lead to the answer you, you probably would have expected. So technically, there are limits on what we can achieve. And technically, there is a limit to the amount of money. But it is relatively limitless and relatively infinite in that there's more than enough money in the world for us all to be multimillionaires yeah. many times over. And you can become a billionaire and soon enough you'll be able to become a trillionaire. So it's important to understand the limits of physics. It is because in a way, money is does obey the laws of physics. But it's probably way beyond you or I could ever get to the limit anywhere. Near. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Because yeah. for most people watching this, uh, one of their biggest goals is to create six figures a year doing something that they enjoy doing. Well, that's that they a limit. Love. That's a limit. If you say I want six figures a year, you put a limit on that. So you that is a self-limit. Because, by the way, six figures a year, not a lot of money now. Oh, man, it goes quick. Real quick. 100 grand will just about pay your energy bill. So. Ain't that true. But just for context, just in terms of... Yes, I mean, I completely get the point you're alluding to that there is a finite amount of money in, in the world and precious metals, etc. Most of the people watching this 
would be happy and feel rich long before they reach that point. Yeah. Yet there are so many people, especially with the whole Corona thing and the lockdowns, who feel more scarce than ever before, like really struggling, worried about money, worried about the way the world's going. There's going to be a recession, all yeah. of these fears and doubts. And what you focus on expands. I mean, you say in the book that uh, where focus goes, energy flows and results grow. Yeah. I really like that. Is that the law of attraction? Do you believe in the law of attraction or is this saying different? Because you talk about vision and clarity of vision and f visualizing, focusing on in the book. But you seem like a very practical man as well. So how much woo-woo is in your philosophy of, of manifestation in terms of money? I'd... Yeah, so I don't believe that you can lay in your bed and meditate and levitate while you're meditating <laughs> and millions will be placed on top of your mattress and under you and as you sink down from your meditation levitation, you will have millions in your bed. And unfortunately, the law of attraction, there is a, a very woo-woo fraternity of that that basically think you can do fuck all and manifest millions. The reason I don't believe that is because there, there, there has to be an energy exchange and there yes. has to be a value exchange. So you can't receive energy without giving energy and you can't receive value without giving value. So I believe that you can attract things by being clear on what you want to attract and putting the energy and the actions out there that would attract. So for example, let's say I wanted to increase the sales of my money book. If uh -huh. I sat here meditating it, but didn't tell anyone what it's called and where you can go and buy it, <laughs> everyone's not gonna go and buy my book, Money on Amazon and Audible. Go get it, link below. Yeah. Well, when you watch it on my, link below, get yourself money. All so. Right. I mean, you know, I can visualize having more sales and, and I think that there probably is a higher frequency of energy I can tap into. And I think there might be something in this unified field or whatever, which is a little bit more complicated than my narrow brain can understand. But I think attraction is about being clear about what you want and putting the energy out, yes. which resonates with what you want to achieve back. So if I want to sell more copies of my book, Money, first off, I've got to write a fucking good book. <laughs> and then the world's got to go and find out about it. And I've got to tell the world about it. Now, if, because here's the thing, I can shout about that book. And if it's a shit book, yeah. then I don't, you know, I sell a thousand and then I sell no more. Uh -huh. Like you knew of me when we got connected uh -huh. through Mark Victor Hansen. And if that was a shit book, you wouldn't want it to do this. Well, episode. I knew you before then because every time I went on Audible, it was bombarding your book at me over and over and over again, every time. Well, you could so call that law of attraction. <laughs> or you could call, call it me hustling being an author for many years. So with the law of Brilliant. attraction, I do believe in attraction, but I also believe in action. Me too. I believe, and I, I borrowed this or stole it from Napoleon Hill when thinking Grow Rich, that when we focus on a clear vision and we saturate our consciousness with it and imagine it, so the, the sitting on the bed visualising, we get ideas and ideas are the currency of the universe. Napoleon Hill said any idea that flashes in your mind you should assume is direct communication with infinite intelligence, the God Force, quantum field, saucy. Since then, and Dr. Joe Vitale from The Secret actually taught me inspired action, which is when the second you get an idea, Basically, that's the time to move on it. Don't overthink it. Don't talk yourself out of it. When you get inspired, move. And there seems to be a momentum that is created and a flow and an energy that when you start moving and putting yourself out there and creating value and sharing it, that good does seem to come. And for me, that's what I use manifestation for, is to get the idea 
to then act on. So it might be, how can I sell more copies of the book? And then the idea comes, right, we're going to do a, a webinar, a promotion for it. But you've got to act on it. You've got to put the work in. What was your first shift from this? There's a lot of people watching this that really struggle with the procrastinational perfectionism, the fear of failure, fear of success, fear of being judged. But basically, I've got these goals, and I'm thinking it through my head a million times, but I can't get started. I'm trying to get it all perfect in my head so I don't make a mistake. And typically, these people just never get moving. Did you ever encounter that? And what was your first first millie or first side hustle or passion hustle that you, you got moving on and created some wealth? I wrote a book called Start Now, Get Perfect Later. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And that book was written for the overanalyzers, overthinkers, the procrastinators, the debaters, the people who struggle to start, the people who second guess themselves, the people who have the curse of perfectionism. Mm. So I've done a lot of research into this. Ultimately, all of those behaviors boil down to fear. Yeah. Boom. Now, I'm not a subscriber that fear is bad and you know, you've got to um, defeat fear and conquer fear and get rid of fear. I believe fear is a very necessary emotion to keep us safe. Yeah. But a lot of people are hiding from fear by when they feel it, they procrastinate away or perfectionism away. Or here's a big thing that I wrote about in the book, and that's called active procrastination. And it's one of the biggest killers. Mm. Like, if you're going to procrastinate, do absolutely fuck all really hard, really intensely. World-class procrastinator. Yes, exactly. I completely agree. If you're going to procrastinate, like, take the week off, turn off all your devices, don't even sit in your pants, take your pants off. Don't just binge one series, binge 10. If you're gonna procrastinate, do it like a world-class procrastinate. But what people do is active procrastination, which is they spend a lot of fucking time on very menial tasks, convincing yeah. themselves that they've stayed busy. Oh, it's all right because I'm doing A, B, C, D and E, I'm staying busy. No, you're procrastinating, you're on low value tasks, you're on low income generating tasks. So perfectionism and trying to just get everything just so, so you can start an analysis paralysis and over research. This is what I call active procrastination. And it's the greatest story that you tell yourself. You tell yourself, I'm working hard, I'm being busy, I'm working 78 hours a day, I'm blah, blah, blah. But actually, you're doing fuck all, but for a very long time. You are better off doing one to two hours of hardcore mission-based income generating work then you are actively procrastinating. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But it's all created by fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of ridicule. These fears are natural. So I know it's a bit of a cliche now, but I do love the concept of the book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Yeah, I've interviewed a brilliant Susan Jeffries. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, fear's very much a part of life. Also, uh, Mikhail Chick sent me high, who's the psychiatrist who wrote the book on flow said that the flow state which is where i believe in our most powerful state where we lose track of time and we're completely centered in the present moment he says that it's just outside your your comfort zone if you go too far outside your comfort zone you panic uh, analysis paralysis etc but if you're too far inside the comfort zone it gets a bit easy and boring and you don't bring the best out of yourself so therefore one of the the games i play with myself is how can i find my edge and just lean slightly past it uh, because that way, I mean, you get to create abundance and all the beautiful things you want, but without getting overwhelmed or stressed out. 
How do you do it? Because you're running multiple businesses and you've got the investments and you've got a training business and you're writing books. How do you balance all of these different things and still focus on the mission critical steps to grow all the businesses and not do the busy, busy work? So I'm not great at balance. No. I'm pretty good at managing multiple tasks, though I'm not good at multitasking and they're different. Multitasking yeah. is trying to do many things at once. That's very hard. Um, managing multiple tasks is being able to dip in and out of multiple tasks. I'm reasonably good at that. Though when you do too many, you end up never in that flow yeah. state that, that you mentioned. But a few simple things, and this isn't about me, this is for anyone. If, you got a, if you're clear on your mission, so my mission is to help as many people on this planet get better financial knowledge. I'm fucking clear on it. I've been clear on it for years. Why, what does that give you? Why is that the thing that's got you? One, because I'm passionate about money and financial education. Two, because I think the world is bereft and deprived of good financial education and knowledge, especially in schools and especially Hallelujah. in many areas around the world. It's something I've become reasonably good at. It's something I'm experienced in. It's something I've read a lot on. And I also think um, it's important to have a mission. So a, a lot of people think, for example, that happiness is doing less, I think. Uh -huh. I don't think they say, I will be happy when I do less, but they think, you know, I want to go on holiday. I want to buy this thing. I want to achieve this state of retirement, financial abundance. It, it, when you think about what that is, that is less, yeah. not more. I fell for that one. I, a four hour work week, yeah. uh, read that, quit my last real job I ever had the next day. Took me two and a bit years. I was living on Bondi Beach in Sydney, six figures. I mean, at the time, it was 10 years ago. So it was a little bit more back then. And I was like, I've made it. Like, this is this is my absolute dream. Took me two weeks before I woke up on the beach, bored and like mad meltdown. Do you know why that happens? Yeah, because I went on my mission. Because yeah. I am too young to be bloody retired. And I just, I'd sold myself a vision that, you know, once once you don't have to do any work, that's what you want. You want to sit on the beach all day. And aha, uh -huh, no, actually, we, no. The reason that happens, I believe, from a species evolutionary point of view is, you would be very useless to society and you'd become a drain on the species if you got to a point where you didn't contribute and add value anymore. Fair. I would, let's say you retired. From a species evolutionary point of view, even from a capitalism point of view, I now have to subsidise and support you yeah. because you're not adding value Hallelujah. anymore. Yeah. So I think there's something naturally, intrinsically and biologically built in us which has this hunger and this emptiness and this striving for more. You know, a lot of people say like, oh, you know, when's it ever enough? It's never enough. Why would it ever be enough? Because if it was ever enough and we'd, we all stopped, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't take many generations for our species to die out. Yeah. So what, I, I wrestled with this, by the way, because, you know, I read all those books as well and I wanted to be rich and I wanted to be financially free and I wanted to do less. No, no, no. I want to do more. I just want to be better at doing more, uh -huh. more effective at doing more, more efficient at doing more, with greater speed, with greater velocity. And anything I don't like, I want to outsource. Yeah. So a, a true... I believe true fulfillment is finding your mission uh -huh. because when you achieve daily tasks in your mission, just, just do a test, by the way, how you feel. Do some shit jobs, get them done and see how you feel about it. Find something that inspires you, work hard at it, yeah. struggle through it and see how you feel at the end. Just do a, a, a litmus test of how you feel because I'm telling you, happiness is not ease. No. Happiness is fulfillment. And fulfillment is going and doing meaningful things that are hard and challenging and then you overcome them. The more of that you do, the more towards fulfillment 
you will go. But as you do that, there'll be a lot of administrative tasks that you pick up along the way. We've got 100 staff in these buildings and I've got probably another 50 to 100 that are outsourced. So this is the amount of people that I've collected along the way that I need to help me fulfill my vision. Wow. And if I can stay on point of the North Star of the vision, I'm get, getting fulfilled. As soon as I get sucked into doing a lot of technical and administrative, uh -huh. I sink back into uh, the opposite of growth. So the key, I believe, to a meaningful life is find a, me a meaningful vision that's useful to you and is useful to as many other people as possible. Continue to strive towards that mission, overcome hard challenges, and then as you build up admin and tasks that naturally come from that, that aren't in your flow, you delegate them. Hallelujah. Certainly. There you go. Brilliant answer. In the book, one big, big point I want to talk about, in the book you talk that we all have unique genius and skills within us. And you, you say that each and every one of us is the very best in the world at being us. Mm. When I first learned this sort of concept a decade ago, I thought it was very sort of Americanized, woo-woo, like, oh, you're the best in the world. I've gone full circle. I really believe that each and every one of us does have unique gifts, skills, and talents. And when we practice radical self-expression and, and really just be who we are at the deepest level, ideally in service to humanity or in other people in some way, that we really can create true financial abundance, success in all the ways that we want. How does someone watching this who doesn't feel like they're a unique genius or have any unique skills, how can they start developing them or start down that path and recognising, number one, they do have something unique about them, and number two, that's almost certainly one of the best ways for them to get paid and to make a great living and really enjoy it as well by expressing who they really are. How do they go on that path? Ask yourself every single day, who am I and what am I supposed to do with my life? That's brilliant. Do you do that? Yeah. Sometimes I ask myself, who am I? As in, who the fuck am I? <laughs> I it's not always positive because sometimes you have that. But yeah, if, if you do not know, I know my mission. Yeah. So I don't have to ask myself, who am I from a mission perspective uh -huh. anymore? But, but I, I still definitely on a daily basis, who am I and what am I supposed to do with my life? It's either to point towards your North Star or to make sure that you're staying on track from your... North yeah, Star. Yeah. Um, so I believe that's the best answer to the question. It's a, it's a fantastic answer. Do you, in terms of your mission and your vision and your goals, is that something you focus on every day? Do you have a routine? Do you have a practice? Like some people use a vision board or visualise or that Bob Proctor reads your goals out loud. Do you do any of that? Or is it more of a subconscious awareness of what you're doing and what you're working on? For the first few years, I'd in very, very much detail write down all my goals. Yeah. I mean, it, how I first got in touch with Mark Victor Hansen, or rather, Boss. not to him, but through him, was I saw him speak and he said, you need at least 200 goals. And I had like six goals and I thought I was bossing. <laughs> and he's like, you need at least 200 goals because you know, you've got a lot of areas of your life, you've got a lot of things that you want to achieve. And if you have 200 goals and you hit 100 of them, that's way more than hitting five out of six. Yeah. So I immediately went back and rewrote how I wrote goals. And I write, be goals, do goals, have goals, mission goals, vision goals, material goals, travel goals, and all the different goal, goal, goals of my different uh -huh. areas of my life. I probably am not as religious on that as I used to be. Um, maybe I should be, maybe I shouldn't be, but don't forget we've had a pandemic, a lockdown, we've had all the crazy shit that's gone on in the world, and you know, I felt like, okay, there's some things that need my attention. Um, but ultimately, I do believe that you will get to a destination if you're very clear and specific about what that destination is and where that destination is. I'm more of a fan of, well, Paul McKenna, I was interviewing Love him. Love McKenna. 
Boss and, man. And he said, look, goals, nah. Directions, yes. And what he meant by that, like, you're supposed to do your goals in smart, specific, measurable, yada, yada, yeah, yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the problem is, it's very difficult to be specific about a goal. And there's so many variables outside of you that can affect that goal. I might have a goal for this podcast to be reach a million people. Uh-huh. But if you don't turn up to do this podcast, that goal is not achieved. Certainly. Imagine so, if I'd only worn one bit of Versace rather than 12. Well, Shocker. exactly. No way. And, and when you go on TikTok, <laughs> sometimes you get 500 people on your live and sometimes you get seven. It yeah. just fucking depends. <laughs> so the point is, there's all these variables outside of what you can control to help you achieve your goals. All you can do is what you can do. So actually, goals is... The problem with it is if you're too specific and you're too measurable, in the end you set yourself up for failure. Gotcha. Or you don't have that universal element to it. So Paul McKenna said, look, it's more about direction. Where am I heading? So it's not about how many books do I sell, it's how many good books do I write? Yeah, and, I like it. And how much time am I prepared to exchange to promote it? But I'm going to add something else to it, and that's velocity. So Paul McKenna said, it's not about goals, it's about direction. I'm going to say it's not about goals, it's about velocity. Because okay. velocity is direction times speed. Because I can be going in the right direction, but so fucking slow, I never get there. Velocity, like the velocity of money, I write about that in the, in the book Money. The velocity of money is the direction in which it is going times the speed that it is going. Yeah. And there's a lot more velocity of money around, say, Netflix and Amazon and Apple than there is a local grocery shop, for example. Sure. So when it comes to goals, think velocity. Think, in what direction am I going and at what speed? Fantastic. We haven't finished my formula for wealth yet. Just Let's do you know. that. Come on, let's finish that. Let's, let's get that formula. Because you, okay. you dropped a lot of science and physics on me today. Formulas, velocity, speed. Yeah. I'm going to have to dig Go out the science books when I come over it. Do GCSE physics again. GCSE physics indeed. Yeah. Okay. yeah, this formula. So is yeah. this for anyone that wants to make yeah. more money? It's the formula for wealth, in my opinion. Kingster, right. Yeah. So perceived value times fair exchange times leverage. Perceived value is the value that you create for the world, not as perceived by you, but as perceived by others, because Uh others are giving their money to you. So here's an example. You can think you're doing great. You can think you're a great artist, but no one's buying any of your fucking work. You could think Andy Warhol's art is shit, and yet he's selling it for hundreds of millions. So that's the perception difference. But you've got to be self-aware enough to go, okay, I believe I'm making good shoes or good watches or good clothes. I believe that. But am I good at marketing it to the world or does the world believe that I'm making valuable things? That's perceived value. So if you want to increase your wealth, you need to increase the value output and the perceived value that other people see that you you give out to the world. The next thing then is fair exchange. Uh-huh. So let's say I've got a really, really good watch that I've made. I'm uh-huh. a watchmaker. I've got a great watch that I've made here. But I have issues around selling. I have guilt and shame and fears of rejection. So in the end, I end up undercharging you because of that. Uh-huh. Because like I'm an artist and I'm a bit worried about what you might think about my work or you might reject me. And so I sell it on the cheap. Lovely. If I, well, you might like it. <laughs> so this is called unfair exchange. Got you. Where you get more value than me. Yeah. If you get more value than me, you win because you've got more value. Yeah. I lose, uh-huh. I make no margin and I end up having to go bust. Mm-hmm. 
Let's look at it on the other side. I've made this fake Rolex. It's worth 20 quid. You think it's a real one and you buy it off me for 20 grand. Gotcha. You're, when you find out, you're fucking angry because I have been greedy and made more profit and you haven't got the enough perceived value. Uh-huh. So the sweet spot in fair exchange is where you think, this thing I bought off Rob, it's really good. It's really uh-huh. valuable. I love it. I'm going to refer Rob and everyone else. And I think I've done good work here and I've made a good profit here and I'm happy that he's happy. That is called fair exchange. There's a sweet spot. That is the sweet spot. For every product, for every service, for every person, there is a sweet spot where your client or who you make for or build for or educate, they get maximum value Uh and you get maximum return, i.e. profit or the money that you Mm. make. And then leverage is how many people? Just how to scale it up, how to get in front of more people. If I sell one watch, I'm not going to make much money. If I sell a million watches a year, like Rolex do, I'm going to make a lot of money. So if you have high leverage, but low fair exchange, you actually have a customer service issue. Because if I have a shit product and I sell it to too many people, I have a massive issue. Banking trouble. And it's happened if you look through history of um, things that have been given away or sold that aren't very good. So actually, perceived value, fair exchange and leverage, you need all three of them in sync. If one of them is out, you don't have your optimum wealth building. I think that's a fantastic formula. Not usually a cheers, fan of formulas, cheers, but hallelujah. <laughs> the fair exchange bit, actually, I think this is, I think this is huge because uh, when you've got scarcity beliefs around money or you're struggling, uh, the tendency for a lot of people is to, I need to get as much out of this deal as possible, or you know, I can't give it away too cheap, and it's that fear and the worry of. I like the science of getting rich. Wallace D. Wattles says, leave everyone with the impression of increase, which is basically your fair exchange, but. I'm going to give a little bit more. So I want, the, I want both of us on the deal to be very happy. But if I could give away a little bit more, he makes the argument that whether it's spiritually or energetically, that's going to come back to you. And from a business perspective, being an entrepreneur for over a decade now, I've found that by doing the fair exchange plus a little bit extra, that you know, customers then fall in love with you and they want to be around you for years and years. And then it gets easier and easier to sell the new products and services just by looking after them. The old-fashioned golden rule. This seems quite rare now. For the people watching, how can we make sure that we're engaging in fair exchange or even a, a little saying even better? There was a couple of billionaires fairly early in my journey that gave me a couple of bits of advice that I think have, will stand the test of the next millennium. Right. And uh, no matter who you are, what job you're in, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're employed, this will help you make more money. Number one, always do more than you're paid to do. Yes. Number two, do the job you want, not just the job you've got. Gotcha. So let me explain. You're a gardener. You come over my house. I'm paying you 25 quid. You're going to end up fucking rich at the Balling, end of the day. Balling, aren't I? So I'm, paying, I'm, I'm paying you another 20 quid. There you go. Thanks, mate. To do the garden. But you do the gravel, you weed out the, the beds down the side. And you don't even have to come and tell me you've done it. You just leave and I go, fucking hell, I paid him 20 quid for the garden and he's done 30 quid's worth of work. Brilliant. Someone, Rob comes to me, he's behind the camera there and he says, Rob, Rob, I need a gardener. Who am I immediately telling him? You. Not the one that did a bit of a shit job and left, which plenty of people do. Ain't that the truth? And, and, and some people are like, oh yeah, but inflation and it's difficult and blah, blah, blah. No, no. If you always do a bit more than you're paid to do, you will always get paid more. So you wanted 45 minutes out of me, you'll get more than 45 minutes out of me. Oh, that's nice. Because I always, so, so that's, 
the first thing. The next thing is, do the job you want, not just the job you got. Now, you have to be careful in the corporate world. You can't just go and do your boss's job. So be careful about taking this literally. But if you want to evolve your money making and your growth, there's things that you're not yet doing that you need to step into. Yes. So as well as doing what you're doing now at your level, try and step into. So if, if you're, if let's say you're a designer and you know that a career development for you is management. So start doing a bit of management. Start learning a bit of management, not just design. So do more than you're paid to do. Do the job you want, not just the job you've got. They will stand the next millennium of continually, continually increasing your earning power. When I had a real job, I think that's brilliant advice. Um, one of my mentors said to me, go to the person who's your boss or your direct report and solve their problems for them. Like, how can you make them more money or give them an extra hour in the day or get this off of their desk? And a lot of people, I think the majority, they're actually, why would I do that? I'm not paid to do that. Certainly not, I'm going home. But it's that understanding that look, ultimately they're gonna be the decision maker of your next path in life if, if you're on the career corporate path. So go and, go and make their life easier. They're a human being. You might be scared of them because they're your boss, but they want more time with their family, more money, less stress. If you can add value in that way, they're going to think of you as like Aladdin's genie and love you. But it's having that mindset of how can I help? How can I solve this problem? How can I give even more? This changed my life. Like when I started, when I first heard do more than what you paid for, I rebelled violently against that. That was the last thing I wanted to hear. It's like, you know, four hour work week, I want to do as little as possible. You know, the secret, I want it all to come to me. Whereas actually, a few things you've, you've touched on. I think we need to express ourselves. I'm far happier when I'm doing the work. And truly that, that energy of, I'll always do more than people expect of me, it really does come back. And I think that's with Mark Victor Hansen introducing us. He probably got the similar thing from both of us and what he demonstrates in abundance, like the most giving, over the top giving man I've, I've, I've met in recent years. Like just give, 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 can't do enough. And it's often the most successful people I've met, like the billionaires or the multi-multi-millionaires who are truly happy and bossing that are like this. They give, give, give. Final question for the beautiful Big Life audience. For the people who want to live a big life and hustle and make some money, is this the best thing they want to get? They want to get this book? We'll put the link below. I mean, it's a salty book and I've got the audio book. Sensational, like your accent, very good. <laughs> Rob discusses, I mean, so much about money. The left brain, like the science of money, what, in it, what money is, where it came from, the history of it, understanding investments, taxation, and then covers beliefs, mindset, scarcity consciousness, abundance consciousness, how to get paid for doing what you love, and mole. Sensational, number one bestseller. It's everywhere. Get yourself a copy of the book. Anything else they should get to learn how to live big like you? <laughs> live big. <laughs> um, my podcast disruptors, probably. Um, Fantastic. So, what are they going to learn on that one? I interview some of the most disruptive people on the planet and I share content that helps people disrupt themselves into growth and progression. And it's called Disruptors. Yep. You can find it on iTunes and Podcast and Stitcher. Um, can I leave everyone with one message? Certainly, Rob. Right now in the world, there's a lower frequency, there's fear, and it's palpable. And a lot of people think that we are worse off, the economy is worse, our cost of living is higher, inflation is higher, I've got less money, yada yada. But whilst that might be the general feel, as an individual, you do not have to subscribe to that. Certainly. You can make your own decision that actually, 
So I'm writing two books at the moment. One is called, well, working title, The Revolution of Money. Ooh. And one is called Meconomy, which is a play on economy, but yeah. with the word, with the letter M at the front. Because uh-huh. I think, well, I know, there's a huge difference between the economy and my economy. Yeah. So the economy is... What's the GDP? Is there positive or negative growth? Are we quantitative easing? What's the monetary policy? You know, blah, 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 blah. That's the economy. Yeah, yeah. But my economy is, am I making money? Am I offering value? Is my business thriving? Am I, you know, blah, blah, blah. So this book, Me Economy, will be all about how to build your own economy, no matter what the economy. Now, I introduced the concept in money by talking about the GDP, the gross domestic product of an economy, uh-huh. the total amount of money flowing through it, versus your GDP. So, for example, in recessions and recessions and recessions and depressions and corrections and whatever else, there's generally a, a small or a drop in GDP. But brands, let's say Lamborghini, Ferrari, Rolex, you, you know, often luxury brands, they the just soar. Isn't it? So they're not affected necessarily by the economy. In fact, they can be positively, reversely affected by the economy. So don't subscribe to the fear and hysteria. Definitely don't subscribe to that being perpetuated by the media. Manage your own economy and know that if you offer value and you help alleviate people's pain, you can be very successful in this time because... When the pandemic happened and we had to lock this business down with nearly 100 staff and I had to sit in a room half the size of this with my business partner and MD with a book like this Mm. with everyone's name in it in my company (laughs) and I had to go keep, let go, keep, let go, keep, keep, let go. For me, that was one of the worst things that I... I, I didn't even know if I could do it. I now know I could do it, so it's made me a more resilient entrepreneur. But... In that moment, when that happened, because the government told us nothing, they just imposed a lockdown. We didn't know how long it was going to be for. We couldn't trade. We had no ability to make money. And in that moment, that was one of the most scary parts of my business career. And for probably a good six weeks, I got drawn into mass hysteria, really? mass fear, emotionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, shit, this is, we could be fucked. Yeah, this is really hard. Uh, you know, and... and what I did was start getting up at 3 a.m. and working until 10, 11 p.m. And I did that relentlessly Jeez. for a good few, a good couple or three months. So that was a positive spin-off in that I got more motivated to fix the, um, the issues which were imposed upon us. But what I learned was, let's say my company is a cruise liner and the pandemic lockdown is a fire in the engine. I ran down into the engine with all of my crew to help them put the fire out. Yeah. I should have stayed on deck, guiding the ship towards the horizon of where I'm going. And that, and I'm normally good at that. Yeah. That's normally my role. But that was a brilliant lesson for me in in the pandemic. No matter how much everybody else is scared and the frequency is low and there's mass hysteria, I know my role and I'm on mission. And once I got back on deck and started steering the ship that way, i.e. north, all of a sudden the staff's energy morale went up a bit. All of a sudden the bank account started to fill up a bit more. 
all of a sudden some of our issues started to go away. You could, it could even on a meta level say all of a sudden the government started making some good decisions or some decisions that helped us and didn't hurt us. Yeah. So that's just the message I wanted to end with. No, fantastic. And, and you they, can have your book back. Thanks, I see just you like that one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Napoleon Hill, within every setback's the seed of an equal or greater benefit. So In these challenging times. stressing mm-hmm. hides a blessing. It, oh, I like that. Every stressing hides a blessing, people. It's your boy, Carl Harvey. Thanks for watching The Big Life. Rob Moore, absolutely saucy. You're even saucier than I dare dreamed. And oh. I was imagining saying fantastic. So thank you so much. I really thank appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Till the next time, think big, live big, and keep yourself a copy of money. And subscribe to his podcast. Links will be below on The Big Life. Peace, love, good vibes. Thanks again, Rob. My pleasure. Thank you. Souls.